down to this place, and I love that guy right there. Oh, man, this is, um, uh, Krista mentioned it earlier, this is the sound of God's bride uh, getting together. We need this. You need this. I need this. Let's keep doing this. How about that? That's really good. And um, I don't think I'm going to forget this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm inclined to uh, encourage Krista and Michael to go to California weekly. <laughs> uh, but make sure you come back on Sunday. So <laughs> I, I just feel like the Lord, um, as I often do when I stand here, um, he has ways of making what we're about to talk about very real and very timely and very personal. And um, my title this morning is Conflict. Uh, just as I won't forget worship uh, this morning, I won't, and you won't either. And you who are joining us live stream, uh, if there's a way, get, get here. We want you here. Um, you need to be part of the chatter we can't contain anymore. And the house is nearly full, but we'll make more room for you. We, we really will. Uh, I won't forget this, this morning, and I, uh, I get to tell you, I won't forget um, the lecture that I want to tell you about. It took place a long time ago in my life. Yes, I'm old enough to say things like that, but uh, it, was, uh, it was back when I was a first-year seminary student, and, um, and I, I just have to confess to you, at that time I had my mind mostly made up about uh, most anything, and I, I had strong convictions that I was right. And uh, so much so that I would share with anyone an answer to anything they might be wondering about. <laughs> Here's the hard part to confess. Even if they never asked. <laughs> that was me. That was, I was that guy. So my dad said, yes, he was. Yes, he was. Um, so the professor at this class, and I remember it being very early in my seminary years, uh, my seminary experience, um, he asked this question, can you conceive of a conflict that can't be worked out? So I was looking around the room, it was full of guys like me, and I'm thinking, who's going who's gonna to speak? Silence. Nothing said. He then added, even if both parties were right and were Christians, more silence. I then raised my hand and he acknowledged me and I quoted some words that are probably part of your memory list. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath, anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, 
tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And my voice sounded that day about like it does today. And I was done. Um, I added this, my own words, not the Bible's words. Uh, So no, Professor Rex was his name. No, Professor Rex, I cannot conceive of a situation, a conflict that can't be worked out by spirit-filled people. He said, okay, class, turn to Acts chapter 15. And that's what I want to say to you right now. The passage, I didn't just go like this. It's next up in our journey with what we've called uh, in step with the Spirit. The acts of the apostles or Holy Spirit. Um, So find your way to Acts chapter 15. And um, as you're doing so, previously... Sounds like a next episode, right? Previously in our study of Acts, Paul and Barnabas had returned home to Antioch. It's up in the north, north of Jerusalem by a couple of hundred miles, 300 miles or so. Um, And they had come from a very important gathering known as, we've referred to it as the church summit down south in Jerusalem. So these two, uh, Paul and Barnabas, had returned north, and they brought with them a letter uh, that clarified. It contained an answer to a very pressing and watershed question that was on everybody's mind. The letter is in the early part of Acts 15, and and the, the letter... More or less, I will condense it and then we can read it. It's very short. Salvation was available uh, to all sinners, regardless of their spot or stripe. And that's still true. All sinners, the letter said, are saved exactly the same way by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 11's too important not to read again. We've studied this already in previous times. We believe, this is Peter talking to the gathering in Jerusalem at that council. He's a Jew and he's speaking to an audience of Jews and he said, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are, the non-Jews, the Gentiles. Okay? Um, that means simply believing that Jesus died for our sins because, I don't often interject this, but it's important because people still say, why would he do that? Here's why. Because sin is serious. It's deadly. It's eternally deadly. So that's why. So Jesus, by believing in Jesus that he died for our sins and receiving something that we could not earn and did not deserve, 
as a gift from God, that's how we are saved. Romans 6 verse 23 is worth putting in your memory list. Okay, it's just a simple verse that says, for the wages, I didn't bring money with me, I'm broke. Uh, The wages of sin, if I had it, I would pull out money. The wages of sin is really costly. The word he uses there in Romans 6.23 is death. That's really costly, your whole life. Comma. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's, a, that's an amen moment, folks. If you're not in the, use, in the habit of saying amen, that is the moment. So here's the deal. No wonder the Bible, by the way, I keep rubbing my hand because I injured myself moving this podium up here today. If it starts bleeding, say, just tuck it in your pocket. We won't have to be grossed out, okay? So anyway, um, so here's the deal. No wonder, no wonder what I just said, not about my hand, but the, the Bible uses such superlatives to describe. Superlatives means amazing, awesome, help me, intense, astounding, fabulous, okay? To describe what I just described. So amen's okay if you want to work with that. But get some more words, okay? And here's a great one. It comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. And it's what we just celebrate, the rem- celebrated, the remnants of which are still kind of here. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That is incredible. I'll say. Thanks be to God, and I hope that praise stays on my lips and on your lips forever because of the incredible, indescribable gift. So with the successful summit that, back to Acts 15, that's in the books, two leaders from the Jerusalem church. So I don't have to repeat this because it makes more sense if I do. The Jerusalem church, these are the in-circle people. These are the, this is headquarters, okay? This is the mothership, as I've referred to it, okay? And these are people that are dialed in closely. And there are two of them that they pick. And they say, hey, we want you to go back up north with Paul and Barnabas, and share this incredible news that salvation is available to every sinner regardless of spot or stars or stripes. Okay? Like I've said. And the two that they picked were Judas and Silas. Not Judas of Iscariot. He was dead and gone. He hung himself. It was awful. But we're talking about a different Judas. Judas, a core leader in the church, the, the mothership, and Silas are picked and sent with Paul and Barnabas back north to Antioch, which is a booming church in the north, where this letter is read that frames more deeply the results of that discussion and debate down in Jerusalem. And the letter wasn't just, here it is, guys. It was 
<clears throat> read to all. And it picks up in verse, uh, let's see, 23. Okay, so pick up right there. With them they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, down south, to the Gentile believers up here north in Antioch, Syria, and over in Cilicia. Greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization, and they caused problems for you. They troubled you and your minds by what they had to say. They said, we all, we, we, they, they said some things that they addressed now. So we all agreed in that summit to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, men who've risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols because that would offend Jews and from blood and from blood from the meat of strangled animals, another offense that's avoidable and from sexual immorality. Don't go there. You would be well to avoid these things. The letter is now finished. Uh, Judas and Silas stayed a little while. Look, look on with me now. The letter's done reading. Luke adds this sort of observation. So the men were sent off, went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together. They delivered the letter, and the people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. And then they took off and headed home. But look at verse 35. Paul and Barnabas remained there in Antioch. You would expect them to, their home, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Don't stop reading. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preached the word of God and see how they're getting along, how things are going. Now stop, okay? So there's a gap between verse 35 and verse 36, roughly three years. So when it says that they stayed and they taught a lot, and preached a lot from the Word of God. This is Sunday after Sunday, Bible study after Bible study, life group after life group. They're getting together, and they are bringing it. And they're sharing God's truth that is, that is uh, impactful, right, with the people for three years is the best calculation out there. And it's complicated, but trust me, this wasn't a couple weeks. So they're, they're sharing all these things, and then they have this idea in verse 36 that we just read. Hey, you know what? They hatched this plan. Um, wh why don't we, when we're done preaching the word here in Antioch, I got an idea. Let's go back and visit all those people that we shared the gospel with on our first missions trip. Let's go back to them, and let's check it out. See how they're doing. 
how they're coming along. And there's probably a lot for us to take in. So they, they preach the word and they hatch this plan. Um, and, and, and it's, let's just call it a great idea, right? There's kind of young Christians in those places. And so they wanted to get back to them and check it out. And they are the right people to do it. Paul and Barnabas, really? I mean, they're, these are, this is a team. They were teammates. They were, they were uh, partners, we would say, in ministry all the way. In fact, if you were to go back, just flip the page back for a second. Go back to uh, chapter 9. I want you to see this because it's, it's so long ago in our study that I, I hope we don't forget this ever. But Barnabas, remember Saul? He's on the way to, to uh, uh, um, where did he go? There we go. <laughs> Damascus. And, and he's, he's going there to f- search out Christians and, and find them and dispose of them. He's on a terror, it had, we had been, we'd learned. And he's going after these Christians because they're teaching this garbage. And on the way, he meets God. The, the light from heaven blinds him, and he hears a voice, and everything changed from there. He went on into Damascus, and he begins to want to meet with people immediately to tell them, uh, he finds his eyesight again. He discovers this is, really, this is really God. This is really true. Jesus is God. All those kinds of things are just like, you know, connecting the dots for him in this moment. And so immediately he sets out to, to preach. And if you were a Christian in that day, you would have gone, there's this dude to stay away from. He is bad, bad Leroy Brown baddest man in the whole downtown, badder than the whole King Kong, meaner than a junkyard dog, right? Stay away from him. You would say that. Maybe not that same Croce song, but you'd say it, right? And you would say it for good reason. You have some family that have died at his hands. They call that wary. So here he comes saying, I got good news for you. And you're thinking, not a chance. Run, hide, flee. Why do I go into that detail? Guess who stood up for him? A guy named Barnabas. Barnabas advocates for him. Look at verse 26. When he came, Paul, he was called Saul then. He came to Jerusalem. He tried to join the disciples, but they freaked out. They were all afraid of him, not believing any of this is true. You can't be a disciple. But Barnabas, verse 27, took Saul, brought him to the apostles, told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and what the Lord had said to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And here we have the making of a lifetime friendship. Years later, Barnabas uh, was busy up in Antioch, and he's the church is exploding. And this is in chapter 11. And, and he's just overwhelmed. Think Moses in the days before Jethro's counsel got through to him. He's just like, I'm, I'm sinking, man. I can't, I can't, I don't have enough voice to preach. 
to as many people that need to hear it. Flip to chapter 11. I want you to see this real quick. Verse 25, okay? So 11, 25, Barnabas went looking for, for help. And he went to Tarsus, where Saul, his hometown, he's called Saul of Tarsus before Paul the Apostle. That was his first name. He is in his hometown, and Barnabas went there. Why? Looking for him. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, this booming church. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. That is not a surprise if you're tracking, not only in this series, but you're tracking the transforming things God does in someone's life. As bad as a guy like Saul. He's the pick. He's the preferred choice by Barnabas. To come back, man. I got to recruit you. We need you back in Antioch. So they left and they went there. So as they're packing their bags, I'm now in chapter 15 again. As they're packing their bags in verse 36 to travel back and check on the people like I mentioned and encourage the spiritual health of these young believers quite without warning they found themselves embroidered in a heated argument remember my seminary professor's question because this is where this passage first came alive for me was in that classroom And, and his question was can you Can you conceive of a conflict that can't be resolved? By two spirit-filled Christians, they just can't work it out. After sharing my thoughts that day, we read these words that begin in verse 37. Barnabas wanted to take John on this return trip also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. So they chatted about it and worked it out. The chuckles are coming from those that read ahead. Verse 39, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. That island, remember, they started their trip there. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers in in, uh, Antioch to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria, Cilicia, and the places they had gone, strengthening the church. I read that again, remembering that moment in the class. After my proud answer, let, it, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. There, it's fixed, right? Everybody put it away, right? And I just sat there being a stupid first-year student. I, mean, I really did. I thought, man, so much for my glib answer. And we spent the rest of that day, that that couple-hour class time, dissecting this disagreement. 
I want us to do that for a few more minutes and we'll be done, okay? I've had a whole lifetime to experience this passage, but it's, it's worth a slowdown for a second. Let's do a little bit of that. For starters, we got to know who's this John Mark, okay? We, we uh, brushed by him briefly. He was simply described, depending on your translation, as a helper or an, a, a companion or a, an assistant with Paul and Barnabas when they went on their first missionary trip. So look back. I'm having you bounce around, but we're staying kind of close in, okay? So chapter 13, look at verse 5 so you can see the label given to him by Luke when he first appears in the book of Acts. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogue. Look at this. John was with them as their helper. That's John Mark, the same guy. He was with them as their helper or their assistant. Okay, so that's where it starts. However, early into this journey, this missions trip, as we've called it, shortly after they arrived at Perga, um, John Mark did something no one expected. I want you to read it rather than have me tell you. Drop down the page to verse 15. From Paphos, which was the island, And uh, Paul and his companions, that would be Barnabas and John Mark, sailed to Perga in Pamphylia. Perga is a coast port. Their ship pulls up there. They're ready to make their way inland and begin to visit churches. And and, and Paul and Barnabas are going, wait, whoa, where, where are you going? John, John, where are you going? Look how the verse ends, verse 13. John left them to return to Jerusalem. What? What are you doing? And let me quickly ask the question you're thinking, why did he go home? Uh, The clearest answer comes from what we just read in Acts 15, verse 39, uh, rather verse 38. Paul didn't think it was wise to take him because here's why, he deserted them. He deserted them. And that raises, if you sit on it for a minute, when somebody you count on deserts you, what's now in question? Are they reliable? Can I count on it? What about in a pinch? You know, we just land. We're ready to go. It was a little rough patch getting here, but we're ready to go for it. Move forward. John, where you? Mark, get. John, Mark. He's gone. He heads due east and south to Jerusalem where it's safe. Um, I think dependability is big time in play here. And, and maybe Paul looked at him and went, oh, hold on, I have some questions. This is rough work. This road we're going to travel, this is not going to be easy. Um, And maybe he's a little young. In fact, maybe he's a little immature to be, you know, in in the NFL, whatever, the the big leagues. Uh, Too immature maybe for us to take a chance on him. Uh, and I am sure, I'm sure Paul at this time 
knew the words Jesus spoke to his disciples. It's in Luke 9, verse 62. You, you remember these words because they're a graphic image. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is what? Fit for the kingdom. Jesus wasn't nice in saying, needs more time to work it out? No. Those are, those are really hard words. So what else can we say about what we just read? It's all coming out of chapter 15. Their positions on the dis- disagreement were very clear. You don't have to guess at it. Barnabas wanted John Mark to come with them. He wanted to take his cousin, it turns out, with them. Paul did not. What was at stake? Well, Paul knew how demanding this journey is. And I want to read you words that I I read this week, and they, they capture the hazards. Here's another place you can go to later today or in your life group. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And it's a long read, one chapter. But you're going to see just how difficult this work that they were in can be. But these words really stood out to me. Paul had suffered great trials, chased out of two towns and stoned and left for dead in a third, worshipped as a god one day and condemned as a heretic the next. Paul knew more than ever that survival and success depended upon the solidarity of every member of the team. We can't go with a guy that's got a foot out. We can't go with somebody that's got his hands on the... You see the... What do I do? What do I do? That's, that's Paul's position. But Barnabas believed in, can I say it, second chances. Isn't that what he stands out to you about? He's a guy that said, wait a minute, there's a, there's a second chance. Wasn't it Barnabas that we read about earlier who, who basically practiced that principle with Paul? I mean, Barnabas um, advocates for Paul, and, and it makes complete sense that he would be the voice that says, no, yeah, he failed, he stumbled, he fumbled. There's, there's a place for him. Let's give him another chance. You see the horns of this dilemma showing. Um, but for principle's sake, verse 39 is there for us to read again. Because it's deep. This isn't just, no, I don't want him. Yeah, I want him. No. Read it again and you'll see. They had such a sharp disagreement that the Greek there is very colorful. This isn't a, hey, I don't agree. Oh, I'm sorry. No, this is war. This is a very heated, intense, emotion-filled, sharp disagreement. He will not. He will. That kind of thing. And I raise my voice because it's disturbing to me to even do that. But can you imagine... If you were an onlooker, a bug on the wall even, you're like, man, i got to get out of here. 
This is not easy. Swindoll writes of this scene with candor. Both were right. That's why I stopped. I thought, wow, that's true. Each could support his position with Bible verses. Again, true. Neither, however, were behaving like the pillars of the church that they had become. Which, can I get an amen? It's like, stop! You're bigger than this. You're better than this. Yet they reached a complete impasse. In the end, the two formed independent teams, and headed off in completely different directions. I think the, sh- the, the exchange, I put words to it. I think it went like this. He comes. He stays. He's my cousin. He's a coward. If he can't come, then neither will I. Fine. See ya. You're like, man, you wrote that script well. I know the script. I've been that guy. I'm not going to blink. I'm not going to move over and make room for you to pass. It's, they were called nose to nose for a reason. You know, toe to toe, whichever image comes to mind for you. It's two entrenched people that go, no, not a chance. Fine. See ya. How come I know that? I've been that. Reconciled some of them? irreconcilable in other ones. I don't do that hardly much now. It's been a good couple of days, easy. No. <laughs> just a joke, just a joke, if you don't know me. Um, I, I want you to know a couple things, and we'll, we're going to sing a really sweet song that's uh, going to tie it together, I think. But... Um, if you were to, you have to squint a little bit, sort of, and look further into the gospel, into the letters, the epistles, and I think you would find some hints of, I, I'm not sure, uh, these are hints of harmony, maybe, we could call. One comes in Corinthians when the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 is talking about the privileges of serving the Lord. And he says, but I'm not taking those privileges. Is it, is it a situation, he says in his argument there, where everybody else gets to have those privileges, like being married and re- receiving an income for a worker is worthy of his wage and all that stuff. Is it only true of me and Barnabas, he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 6? That was years later. That's a good sign. Here's another really good sign, and it's actually the last letter that Paul wrote, to, and it happens to be to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Listen to this. I thought, wow, this is really good stuff. Verse 11, here it is. He's giving some personal remarks as a, got to go, I'm heading to heaven. It really is. It's the last chapter he wrote. And he says in verse 11, only Luke is with me, Timothy, he's writing Timothy, only Luke is with me, get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. <laughs> that good. It's a lot of years later. 
for him to actually put in the eternal words we call the Bible this little hint of reconciliation. It's good. So I don't like conflict. I want you to know that. I don't. And, um, and it's true, I think Debbie would agree, uh, my dad would certainly want to stand up right now um, and say, you know, I used to be a fighter, but I, I've become a lover. Okay, that's slightly overstated, but you, you get my, <laughs> you get the direction of my life, the thing. Okay, so, um, but I know this about the world around me. We have no room for, you can write something down, do you want to write this down, agree to disagree? We have very little room for that anymore. We just don't. In fact, it's called uh, wimpy, compromise. It's, called, it's got a, a bunch of new, new labels we've given it. Agree to disagree. Today it sounds weak. And it sounds like something to stay away from. Really? That's like kissing your sister. It's not satisfying. It's gross. Don't agree to disagree. Um, we, we might even follow that with, what about conviction? There is conviction. Uh, did you know, I, I was fascinated to learn that there's a doctrine in our country today, in most states, called stand your ground. You probably remember it from Florida. That's the first time I remember a case about it. It's, it's called stand your ground. It's actually dubbed the nickname the castle doctrine or uh, law. And it basically means you are free in most states to use lethal force to not back down when it involves your house or your person. Uh, I, in full disclosure, there are a few states where they have a, um, a softer law, and it's the law that says there's a legal duty to retreat. You're thinking, where's Oregon? Who knows? Right? And by the way, this, this is wiggle room because it depends on what a, a, a prosecutor wants to say and what a defense attorney wants. It's just, well, no, my client was trying to do this and no, he wasn't. He was trying to do that and so on and so forth. But that's in our world today. Um, I don't think I am embellishing what I'm trying to say here by saying that families and communities, even churches, go from uh, a, 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 a little disagreement to becoming fragmented to becoming polarized where, where you're not about to come to the middle almost like that. That's a problem. The Holy Spirit says, I want to change that about... I I'm going to do it. Let's start it in the church and everywhere you go, you can, you can take that fragrance with you. Say to people, no, there's a better way. You know somebody that's like that already. I live with somebody that's like that. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. I'm just like, yeah, but she, she's like, settle down. 
You're still my tiger. You're still my big, big strong man, but settle down, bro. Step off, Jack. Step off. Uh, all right. I, um, I think there is a better way. I think it's the Jesus way. He was the one in that fabulous message, way better than this one. The Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, is the Beatitudes. Remember the Beatitude? It's in verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. For what's the outcome? They will be called children of God, sons and daughters of God. I want to be that. I want to be that guy. Um, so I'm going to say this about Paul right here. Um, I think he was tempered over the years. If you ask some people at the church I was at before I came here, you would say that same thing is true of you too, Steve. Is that true? Okay. Uh, just having a little nonverbal. <laughs> um, no, it is. It is. Um, it really is. And, um, and it was Paul, I find this fascinating, so it's worth telling you, who said in Colossians, which he wrote at least 10 years later, then this, then this parting of ways with Barnabas, and so as those chosen of God, Colossians 3, verse 12, holy and beloved, can you hear his voice? Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another, it means putting up with people that you just go, that irritates me. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect pill the perfect law of unity. Um, it's a bond, he calls it. And I think he said those things very calmly. This is how it works. I want to leave you with an honest fact. Right now, I'm so tempted to put a beautiful little bow around this and say, they all live happily ever after, kissing hugs all around. The truth is, um, Barnabas, we read it already, took John Mark, and they went, if you saw it on a map, you'd go, oh, my stars. They went south and took a boat to Cyprus and uh, Paphos and made their way by boat. Paul and Silas was the other new team, went north and west by land. Both with the plan to still visit the same churches. Uh, we have no record that they collided along the way there. But that's how they took the path. A.T. Robertson is a, a man with Jesus now, but he, he said these things sadly. No one can rightly blame Barnabas for giving his cousin John Mark 
a second chance. No one. You can't do that. Your argument does not hold up. Nor can you blame Paul for fearing to risk him again. One's judgment may go with Paul, and one's heart may go with Barnabas. But what is clear, this is a hard sentence, I don't like this sentence. What is clear is Paul and Barnabas parted in anger and sorrow. Are we done? And I wouldn't tell you a wonderful postlude. It turns out God wasn't done with either of them. Because if you say, I side with Paul, um, I'm not going to go with the side with Paul or side with Barnabas, but if you tend to see it through the lens of Paul, There is evidence, a lot of it, by virtue of the fact that he was the human author of 13 New Testament letters. And I'm going to have you show me your hand. How many of you have been impacted in some way, shape, or form by something Paul the Apostle wrote? (laughs) See? So you're saying, I'm so glad he didn't give up. But here's the other. There happens to be in Barnabas not only a known reality that he gave a second chance to John Mark. We know that in the sort of localized way. Uh, But he also, we know this, that he went on to compose the most action-packed telling of Jesus' story in the Bible. We know it as the Gospel of Mark. Again, your hands. And ever read Mark? Ever read the most repeated word in Mark? Immediately. It is so, you cannot, I mean, nail your feet to the floor because you're going to... And there's strong evidence that the other gospel writers um, took a lot, gained a lot from Mark's presentation of Jesus. Great words. I want to be somebody that can see my way through it, do everything in my power to help it, and still be used by God. I think you do too, right? Bow with me, would you? Ah, God. It was said earlier, um, when the worship part of our service was drawing us all into you, that every one of us has a part. Empowered by you, the Holy Spirit. That's why we prayed, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Fill this atmosphere. Touch and change us in ways that we need changing. And in the case of conflict, as we've read today, Uh, to preserve unity, to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I pray that for everybody at Grace Point. I pray it for everybody in a marriage relationship. I pray it for 
people at work. I pray it for for our children. I pray it everywhere I go that I would be blessed by you as a peacemaker because I'll be known as a child, a son of God. We will sing now the blessing. And I pray that the words of this song would be true in our lives and that we would sing it somewhere as we do now for other people that we want to bring a blessing of peace. Thank you, Jesus. Bless us, we pray. Face toward